Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. What I think has been obvious over this year has been how the PR community globally has pulled together, shared information, spoken with rivals, realized it is part of a truly global community with shared values and standards and interests and behaviors. And the the bigger the PRCA community is, the more powerful it is and the, the better placed our members are to survive and to thrive. And therefore, we'd, we'd really welcome uh, anyone in the US who wants to join. And um, just on a personal level, I'd like to say I, I call Mary Beth West a friend. I know she is not everybody's cup of tea, as we say in England, but she is certainly mine and a great advocate for ethics, regardless of the opposition. And there's a phrase of Churchill's that I think is relevant to some of her experience, but also to our industry's experience over the last year. When you're going through hell, just keep going on. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I have a very special discussion planned today and with a guest host who is sitting in for my usual sidekick, Mary Beth West. The subject for today is PR ethics, which falls very much into Mary Beth's wheelhouse. She is a tireless advocate for ethics in our profession. And on a past episode of Misinterpreted back in 2019, Mary Beth and I talked about why PR ethics is so important. And I'd like to ask our sound engineer, Chris, to roll that clip. Chris? Well, I think that, you know, I kind of go back to journalism, my journalism school days, and, and the mantra was always accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. Well, in public relations, it's disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. It's absolutely being able to put forward information that people need for informed decision making, which only inspires trust in the in the source of that information. So, you know, we have to come at this with an ethic of... Uh, you know, building bridges through communication and open lines of communication and not being afraid to be questioned, not being afraid to be challenged in what we are putting forth in the marketplace of ideas. So that's the first item. And I would also say in line with that free flow of information, understanding that we cannot impede other people's opportunity to have a chance at the microphone or try to take away their microphone. Um, we, you know, when we are obstructive of other individuals or parties in, in, in doing that, it only looks like we have something to hide. So we have to advocate even for people who are challenging us to be able to communicate and be able to question. There are few people who have been more outspoken about ethical compliance issues in our industry than Mary Beth West. But for today's chat, Mary Beth decided to sit out on this recording specifically so that our listeners could hear from other independent voices on this topic. So let me introduce today's guest host, who you may remember from one of our misinterpreted Twitter chats in 2020. Susan Hart is a leading proponent of public relations, ethics and accountability here in the U.S., 
and her work with Mary Beth in recent years on that front has made for some pretty interesting fireworks in our own domestic PR industry here in the U.S. Susan is based in the greater Nashville, Tennessee area, and she is retired from a 35-year PR career working in nonprofit, agency, corporate, and consulting. Susan and Mary Beth actually worked together about 25 years ago in a corporate post, so there's some great history there. And I've had the pleasure of meeting Susan and getting to know her. And what's most relevant to today's chat is how Susan has had a front row seat in observing many of the ethics issues and, frankly, ethics fails that have happened within the PR industry in recent years. I'm excited to welcome my co-host for today to Misinterpreted, Susan Hart. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kelly. Good to be here. We might just have to have you on as a regular co-host. <laughs> Oh, I'll try to fit it in my busy schedule. Yes, uh, since you're retired now, right? Exactly. So. <laughs> Susan, can you tell us a little bit more about your career and also your background in working with Mary Beth West? Sure, sure. I went to college and got a degree in public relations. And I say that because there are very few people who actually get a degree and then actually pursue that degree. So I actually got a degree in public relations, but I started out as a journalist specifically an investigative reporter, I realized uh, early on that I could not make a living doing that. So I jumped the fence, so to speak, and became the public information officer for a chamber of commerce. And then from there, worked in various environments over the next three decades, the last two decades of which I was a solo practitioner serving as a public relations consultant. I met Mary Beth many years ago. I actually hired her to work for me when I was working at a New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company uh, that partnered with government of all levels to provide private corrections management services. And, and you might say that that was actually the first experience for us uh, doing time together and we have stayed uh, very well connected since that time. That's awesome. I, I remember hearing about you all working together way back in the day, and it's great to have that background. You've certainly had some moments in the eye of the hurricane fighting against a lot of ethics battles in our, in our industry. But as negative as those problems have been, you found a bright spot in an entirely different organization, which is based overseas in London. And I can say without question that Mary Beth and I are thrilled to be a part of it as well. And that's the Public Relations and Communications Association, or PRCA, which is a global association of public relations professionals. Tell us how you came into contact with the PRCA, Susan, and what your experience has been there as a member so far. Mary Beth and I have a lot in common. And one element that we have had in common is that we had very strong parental mentors particularly in our fathers who instilled in us a very strong ethical and moral foundation. And so on a personal level, we've been very like-minded. I say that because to find that kind of strong moral foundation in a professional association, we thought until a couple of years ago, we thought did not exist. But we found that with PRCA in London, we found that their mission to uphold ethical standards and to provide the highest ethical standards for the industry is something that was very much in alignment with what we believed in. And it certainly uh, reinforced our uh, personal belief and value system as well. In terms of benefits, countless. 
You can't uh, really count the benefits when there are just constant seminars and webinars. I was on one this morning, all very informative, very well done, and all in the in the vein of this is an organization that walks the walk and talks the talk. I couldn't agree more. I've been involved with PRCA for going on two years now, and I've been so impressed with the level of accountability that their members have and the fact that they actually enforce ethical violations, which is something that we don't see with every trade organization in our industry. So I do have a shameless plug because I'm going to be joining the PRCA as a speaker and session leader tomorrow on June 2nd for their America's Conference, which is a free online event on both June 1st and 2nd. And I'll be joined by Tanja Johnson from the University of Alabama and Melissa Carter a prior guest on Misinterpreted. She was fabulous. And she's a leader in the Atlanta LGBT community. We're going to host a discussion entitled Feast and Famine, Women 50 Plus as Coveted Consumer versus Overlooked Senior Talent. So we sure do get marketed to, but when we get to a certain age, we're not nearly as valued for our level of experience and professionalism. So the conference is free, go online, and I'm sure they're going to be available to replay on demand as well. So, and with that, Susan, we have another very special guest joining us for his second tour of duty on Misinterpreted, who actually is the global leader of the PRCA. I'm going to have you do the honors of introducing him. Thank you, Kelly. And it, it is indeed an honor to introduce Francis Ingham, He is the Director General of the Public Relations and Communications Association based in London, also known as PRCA. PRCA is the world's largest public relations professional body with more than 35,000 practitioners and with offices in the UK, Singapore, Dubai, and Buenos Aires. Francis is also the Chief Executive of the International Communications Consultancy Organization, or ECO which is the voice of public relations consultancies around the world in 66 countries and with more than 3,000 public relations firms. Francis, as you uh, previously alluded to, is no stranger to Misinterpreted, as he was featured in a special two-part episode on season one of this podcast about a year and a half ago. And one of my favorite clips from that interview was this one that I would like to ask Chris to uh, cue up, please. And today, as you very kindly noted, uh, we're the largest PR association in the world. Um, Why? Um, Well, partly hard work, uh, honestly, Um, but also taking a stand on issues that matter. Um, When I took the role, I I said to our members, many of whom were thinking of leaving, quite honestly, um, that we would always stand up for for the industry and for his best interests. Um, and they might sometimes disagree with what we said, but that on balance, they would be happy that there was somebody uh, being a cheerleader for them. Um, and that's what we've done the whole host of areas, whether it's uh, extending social diversity or reporting gender pay gap, getting more uh, mums back into the industry, standing up for the industries business interests around copyright law, or probably most importantly, uh, making the case that the industry is ethical. And when people who are our members or aren't our members uh, do something unethical, being very clear about that, calling it out, 
and if we have to, reluctantly, rescinding their membership. Mm. So I think our growth has been because we we are seen as the legitimate, authoritative voice of the PR industry um, in the UK and increasingly internationally. And PR people want that and respect it um, and are happy that we are their voice. So just like Francis said, taking a stand is essential in the PR industry. And that's what our global community of colleagues need so desperately today. The tools, the resources, the strategic support to help them take a stand whenever they need to take it. Francis and his team at PRCA launched a worldwide ethics council recently, which included our dear friend Mary Beth West. And I think Francis has more to tell us about that as we start today's conversation. Francis? Well, let me start by saying it's a great pleasure to be with you. And um, while we talk, I can also see the uh, the baseball in the background on, on your screen, which is good because uh, <laughs> as a great fan of cricket, I've always also had a great appreciation for baseball. So we, we founded the Ethics Council sometime over a year ago. Mary Beth is one of the three co-chairmen of it, uh, alongside uh, a gentleman called Israel in Nigeria and Nitin, who is also the president of ECO in India. And the reason was pretty straightforward. We think the industry faces ethical challenges. It normally rises to them. But these challenges are global in nature and in, in context. And it's my firm belief that public expectations of PR practitioners have risen consistently over the years, partly driven by social media, partly by people wanting purpose as well as profit, and that our industry needs, therefore, to address these challenges globally. And that's what the Ethics Council seeks to do. It has three co-chairmen, as I say, of whom Mary Beth is, is one. We're delighted for her leadership in this role. But it also has around a dozen other people from around the world. So David Gallagher, for example, as Omnicom International President and Bridget Van Holt from South Africa. And the aim is very straightforward to raise standards and enforce them around the world because that's what we all ought to be doing. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And actually, when we had you on for the two part episode, it was one of the most fascinating episodes I think that we have done. And I think we're well over 50 episodes that we've recorded now. And so, Francis, just thank you for being here. And thank you for including Fletcher Marketing PR as a sponsor of the PRCA Americas Conference. Proud to be a part of the inaugural conference. And we're very excited about the program there. And your team has been wonderful to work with. That's great to hear. And we're incredibly grateful for your sponsorship. I mean, the, the Americas Conference reflects the fact that we now have a very considerable number of members in Canada and the US and Central America and Latin America. And we wanted to provide a forum over two days for people to debate the issues, particularly around ethics that face our industry. We were opened this morning by Marjorie Krauss and we have John Burke from AMEC talking about evaluation and so on and tomorrow got a great program as well. It was moderated this morning by Fred Cook, 
whom lots of your listeners will be very well aware of, of course, and just part of our of our global platform of events where we, as a global community, address the issues that face us as a profession in a collective manner. Uh, Francis, on, on my own behalf, I do want to thank you so much for all you've done in leading the PRCA in such a selfless way and in such a leading by example way and to be a truly a global voice for ethics, advocacy, and PR. As I mentioned earlier, Mary Beth West and I go back a long way, and it's been so gratifying to me as someone who has known her for so long and as someone who has been a part of her very formative years in the PR industry to see where she has been able to establish her voice on ethics issues. And as Kelly said earlier, she is a tireless advocate for ethics and all things ethics. So I'm very pleased to be able to watch her on this pathway with on such a global basis. So many, many thanks to you and to the PRCA. I understand that Mary Beth will have a continuing role on the Global Ethics Council in the year ahead. So I'd like to learn more about her role and her other co-chairs at the Ethics Council. Well, as you say, she's continuing for another year as, as co-chairman. And she has set out her agenda for the for the next year. I'll leave her to talk about her agenda on a on a different call, maybe. But it, it's really straightforward, in my view. Our industry over this past COVID period, which hopefully appears to be drawing to a close. So, for example, in the UK today, we had zero deaths from COVID which is a a milestone, very welcome milestone. But over this period, the the power of communication has been completely proven. Companies who have been authentic and ethical, where the walking and talking element has been aligned. Some companies have taken government money and then given their CEOs big bonuses. Some companies have taken money paid it back, and their CEOs have decided not to be paid, for example. So you see the ethical divide, and it's been really, really apparent. But that power of PR, when virtually everything has been stripped away other than communications, the importance of reputation has been proven. And what that means is that our industry, to my view, is more powerful than ever, and that power is apparent. And that power needs to be tempered by a commitment to ethical practice, so to telling the truth, to acting in the public interest, to behaving with integrity and honesty. And those are values that we can share all around the world. Now, our industry is at different stages of maturity around the world. And we certainly see that in the PRCA. But those values are common. And those values ought to be a baseline expectation that anybody who hires a PR consultant, who hires a PR comms director. And that's really the message of the the Ethics Council that Mary Beth co-chairs. Different markets, different practices, common standards, common expectations of how one ought to behave. So, Francis, obviously, 
this global ethics council was planned before COVID hit. So, you know, there was already a plan that PRCA was going to undertake this effort and establish a team of international leaders to drill down into PR ethics at a granular level. Can you talk a little bit about the shift that you saw? You talked about communications really being in the forefront during COVID. And you also mentioned that the, the importance of corporate reputation was really spotlighted during COVID. Before COVID, what were the issues? Before COVID, I, I think you just had an industry around the world that was all going in the same and the right direction, but that had its own particular issues depending upon where it was based. So if I could try and extrapolate out from that, we've always said at the PRCA that you can work for whomever you want to work for, so long as they're legal. But you need to stand by the decisions that you make. So I smoke cigars, cigarettes, for example. It is perfectly appropriate for a PR agency to have uh, tobacco clients, for example. But you have to stand by the decision you make to work with those clients. And when you work with them, it doesn't matter if the client you have is controversial, if they're guns or alcohol or cigarettes or whatever uh, you feel comfortable with. But you have to stand by the decisions you make about who you work with. And you have to work with them in a professional and ethical manner. So we've always said you can have really controversial clients for whom you do absolutely non-controversial work and vice versa. But you've got to have ethical standards in, in how you behave that surround public interest, propriety, honesty. Black and white is easy. That's really simple. It's grey that's difficult but life is full of grey and the role of professional associations is to help people through the grey areas of their professional practice and um, that's what we try to do at the PRCA and that's what the um, Global Ethics Council will help people do around the world because we all live with um, differing shades of grey don't we? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm in my own personal life. I always say, I hate the gray. <laughs> Get me out of the gray. Just somebody else make the decision so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, that that is, I really believe that is relevant, whatever point in, in your career you are. If you're an intern or a student or a global chief exec, very few things are good and bad. Most things are in the middle. And it's the, it's the frameworks that professional bodies provide that help people make their own moral judgments about how they, how they decide which bit of the grey area that they are in and make their own conclusions. I think one of the things about grey areas is that if you, are, if you do make a decision in a grey area, are you consistently making the same decision in that area? Recently, Mary Beth shared with me the platform that was introduced as part of her co-chairmanship role with Nitin and Israel that she will have with the Ethics Council in the year ahead. Their platform discusses what they call a passion point of tackling disinformation at a global level. And this is how it reads. 
dismantling systemic noncompliance with globally shared PR ethics standards at root sources of organizational culture. That's the passion point. And there's a lot of substance there. First, you have this idea of dismantling something. And in this case, it's noncompliance with globally shared PR ethics standards. Then you have the fact that PR ethics standards in one nation or region of the world may be different from other parts of the world and other cultures. So this statement acknowledges that fact. And finally, the root sources of ethical noncompliance start with organizational culture. And if uh, you were on the uh, PRCA webinar this morning, we were reminded about the importance of organizational culture as it relates to ethics, specifically with uh, Dr. Dorothy Suskin as she was speaking to uh, this in the seminar this morning. So that's, that's a lot to dismantle. But I'd like to ask you, Francis, what was your reaction when you first saw how this passion point was articulated and how did that resonate with you? I mean, if I had to describe Mary Beth in one word as a fairly uh, typical Englishman, uh, passionate would probably be up there, particularly her, um, her fervent desire to raise standards within our industry. And our industry needs to have a passion for ethics because of the great and growing power um, that it possesses. As I say, it's been proven during this period. And again, as I, I said previously, um, the global PR industry is at different stages of development, and that's inevitable. You have pretty much aligned standards of practice and ethicality between the UK and the US, for example. And we operate around the world, so we see that the industry is travelling all in the right direction, but at different points along that. These are really common issues of truth and public interest and of people adhering to codes that matter. And I know that matters to, to both of you, ladies, and to Mary Beth. I mean, I'll um, maybe to jump forward a moment... <laughs> I truly, passionately believe that our industry needs codes of conduct that are enforced and that mean something. The enormous power of our industry, for good or for ill, and there is the for ill element of it as well, let's be honest about that, that power needs to be tempered by responsibility and it needs to be tempered by people being able to have a baseline to which they can revert and to say this is something i cannot do and this is why i cannot do it and that was the experience we had with bell pottinger and the gupta family in south africa where people went over that line and it's well known now of course but our expulsion of bell pottinger their collapse was possibly the most famous pr company in the world within two weeks of our expulsion of them, proved that the industry had standards and that they were enforceable because standards only matter if you enforce them. And some sort of self-policing or non-policing is risible and pathetic and useless. 
And uh, that's part of the reason that we set up the Ethics Council to provide those global standards around one central code of conduct built around principles of fundamental behaviour to which anybody who works in our industry um, ought to subscribe. Yes. And Francis, really, it comes down to core values, right? So they have to be measurable. So in our talking back to organizational culture in our organization, we have five core values and they're measurable. The bottom line is it's the metric of what does it take to get fired around here? And this is what we need as far as the code of ethics and PR is what does it take to get fired around here? Or what does it take to you know ruin my career by making a bad decision? And I've just seen over the past two years or so, communication has become almost a sort of, of warfare. And the power that communication has now, particularly in light of social media, the age of social media, to actually become a powerful weapon in our culture is really scary. And we need to get ahead of it and establish these enforceable ethics and this whole fight against disinformation being normalized. I think we're in a place as a global society where disinformation is all around us and it has already become normalized. So I can really get behind and get excited about this idea of the PRCA seeking to take this on, to dismantle it and help our industry fight it at its root cause. It makes us all look bad as PR professionals when uh, disinformation is normalized. And it seems kind of like we're boots on the ground pushing back against disinformation from our own organizations sometimes. And I know a lot of people are concerned about speaking out publicly when you're in this profession and you have to make really important communications decisions sometimes that are handed down to you to, to push out and you may not agree with them, but there's the fear of re- retaliation and the fear of retaliation is real. I know Susan has faced retaliation. Mary Beth has faced retaliation when she's spoken out against misconduct. Is the PRCA going to help PR practitioners wage these battles in a productive way? Are you going to teach us skills to be able to handle these situations in the moment? Well, I don't think you need teaching anything. <laughs> it's, the, it's the honest answer. But we're here to help. I mean, on the dis- disinformation front as a whole, we're doing a whole load of work at the moment around this. And it began before COVID, but it's been accelerated during COVID. You won't be aware of it, I'm sure. But there's an organisation called the Council of Europe. It's not part of the EU, but it's a European organisation. And ECO is a is a, a new member of it. And our remit within there is purely around combating disinformation. And I, I wrote the foreword to a book this morning about disinformation relating to, to COVID. In particular, in my during this period, I've been uh, working as part of one of the UK government boards around the communication of how people ought to respond to COVID, to vaccines, particularly in ethnic minority communities, for example, and a high reluctance to take them up and, and all of that sort of thing. So that's the disinformation bit. On the broader piece, our code of conduct is rigorous, but it also can be anonymized. And that has been the case for years. So anyone anywhere around the world can make a complaint against anyone of our members, wherever they are based around the world. 
and they can do so anonymously. I'll see the complaint, I'll see the complainant, but we'll never make it public. And we do due diligence. Um, you know, is there a prima facie case to answer? Is it a vexatious complaint? But once we've uh, concluded it isn't vexatious and that there is a prima facie case to answer, we take it incredibly seriously. We spend an enormous amount of time and money investigating complaints. There is no kickback, no pushback, no return to the people who make the complaint. They're anonymous. They can make their complaint in absolute certainty that so long as it has a valid case for having been made, that there will be no recourse to them because it's really important that a code of conduct is meaningful and that people are held accountable to it and that other people in and outside of the industry can make complaints without fear of being pursued by the people they have made complaints against because otherwise it's a David and Goliath situation where the big guy always wins because you're terrified of making a complaint against them. And it has been our experience that this system encourages compliance to ethical standards and allows, to sound slightly grand, allows justice to be done within our industry. And I think that's a really important feature of it. Following up on your point about people being fearful of making complaints, one of the biggest fears being retaliation, it is the case that uh, Mary Beth and I have both been victims of retaliation, despite very well-documented evidence of ethical mis misconduct on top levels. I've personally seen Mary Beth been retaliated in ways that, you know, I could never imagine. In fact, it may be enough to even write a book or a movie on. I don't know. Maybe that's something that's in our, our future. Who knows? One of the organizations that Mary Beth and I are both members of um, is the Ethics and Compliance Initiative out of Washington, D.C. They have data that show, and I'm quoting from the, their Global Business Ethics Report, retaliation is one of the intractable issues that organizations must address. Francis, do you think that retaliation is one of those hidden crises going on in the PR industry that the PR people often see potential misconduct or are asked to communicate, spin, or deflect about it, but they fear for their jobs so they don't push back against it? What are your thoughts on that? First of all, let me say that I applaud anyone who realizes that data is a plural word rather than a singular word. I repeatedly push back on, on my own team regarding that word, including today. Um, it's, um, it, it's not an issue in the PRCA, but I know that it is elsewhere. Anyone can complain anonymously about any one of our members, be they however grand or mighty, and there will be no retaliation, uh, to use your word, against them, uh, because every complaint if the complainant wants it to be, is 100% anonymous. Um, and like I say, we go through due diligence. People are not pursued vexatiously. But it has to be a key element of any code of conduct that matters, that you can complain against the 
most famous man or woman in our industry and do so without fear. I, I caveat this by saying Richard Edelman is a PRCA member in very good standing um, but, and, uh, and a great man. If anyone wanted to make a complaint against Richard, uh, they could do so without any fear of their name being uh, revealed to him or to any of his, I'm sure, mighty legal team. And he would go through the same process if a complaint were made against him as if a complaint were made against a student at uh, the University of Tennessee, which is also a PRCA member. And that is one of the great attributes of our, our code, our disciplinary process, but also of the commitment our members make because they know full well when they sign up um, that they are adhering to the most rigorous PR code in the world and they aren't happy to do so. And there are a thousand corporate organizations around the world from you know, I don't know, uh, Weber, Shanwick, Edelman, Fleischmann, Golan, Hill and Knowlton on the agency side to Visa, Vodafone, uh, New York Bank of America, Merrill Lynch and all that on the on the in-house side, who will sign up to this code and they realise what they're signing up to. And that's a statement in itself. And I I truly don't don't understand how anybody who has a proper belief in their own ethical standards would not want to be held to a properly enforceable and rigorous standard of behaviour. It's beyond my uh, comprehension, but maybe I'm just a very stupid man. No, I don't think so at all, Francis. You know, you've often said that the PR industry is inherently ethical, and I do believe that most PR practitioners really are ethical. It's just that it only takes a few bad actors to give our profession a bad reputation or to, t to tarnish our reputation. I believe that there's a lot of whitewashing going on with some PR industry groups who are just giving lip service to ethics theory, but they refuse to go to the mat and fight for those values in a way that moves the needle. So it just becomes a written credo that is never, it's like, doing a strategic plan and putting it in a notebook up on the shelf and nothing ever happens with it. So I think we still have a big public perception problem when it comes to PR's own reputation. In that context, Bell Pottinger marked the line in the sand for the PRCA. And you took a stand on that case that became very famous several years ago. And I'm wondering, do you anticipate that there'll be more battles at that level for the PRCA and ethics compliance as you take a stand for the industry? Before I answer that, I, I say about, you know, ethics have to mean something. And, you know, your comment about the strategy, blah, blah, blah. It reminds me of Mike Tyson, that great quote that everyone's got a plan until you punch them in the mouth. So if it doesn't work at that point, it's probably not a plan that is rigorous. And what I mean by that is if you just pay lip service to an ethics code, but there's no comeback when somebody punches you in the mouth with it, then it's probably not an ethics code that matters. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> the Bell Pottinger case, I think, was unique. I think it drew a line in the sand. I think that even at the time that Bell Pot was doing its work in South Africa, it was really at the margins of the PR industry, even then. 
I think that the collapse of Bellpot shifted those margins. I don't ever anticipate anything like it. There are PR companies, let's be honest, that do that sort of work. There will be PR companies who are doing it uh, today. Uh, and that's the reality. Uh, but they're not our members. And there are fewer and fewer of them with every year that passes. And Bellpot, although it wasn't the biggest company in the world by a long way, was a very famous PR company in the world. There is no company of comparable size or fame that would do the sort of work today that Bell Pottinger did a, um, a few years ago. And I, I just think that public expectations have moved on. Public scrutiny has increased. And both of those developments have um, have been for for good, you know. But I mean, you could criticise us by saying, "But you admitted Bell Pottinger, and then they will carry on this work and probably other work of a similar nature." Why did you admit them? We took the view we wanted them inside the tent to use the Lindbergh Johnson uh, analogy rather than outside the tent. And then when they clearly transgressed the standard rules of the industry, uh, we expelled them very publicly, very expensively, and with great effect on the rest of the, the industry. And I, I genuinely believe that you we will never again have a story like Bell Pottinger because people of a significance in the industry don't do that sort of work now, and they won't do it in the future. And I know you certainly hope there's never another situation like that. We do too. Oh dear God, I'd really don't want to go through that again. <laughs> never. Uh, gosh, as much as I would love to continue to talk about all of these th kinds of things, we are coming uh, to the end of our chat. And thank you so much for this opportunity to co-host with you, Kelly. Uh, Francis, are there other thoughts that you would like listeners to know about PRCA, specifically how to get involved? That's very kind of you. Um, as you said at the beginning of the uh, segment, um, we're the largest PR association in the world. We've got members in 70 countries. Last year, we ran over 200 events, free to attend uh, events. And we've got the America Summit going on today and uh, tomorrow. We are a very welcoming organisation, um, albeit we ask and expect that you subscribe to our high ethical standards. And that's what we expect and demand. But we'd love to have, uh, you know, the what I think has been obvious over this year has been how the PR community globally has pulled together, shared information, spoken with rivals, realised it is part of a truly global community with shared values and standards and interests and behaviours. And the, the bigger the PRCA community is, the more powerful it is and the, the better placed our members are to survive and to thrive. And therefore, we'd, we'd really welcome uh, anyone in the US who wants to join. And um, just on a personal level, I'd like to say I, I call Mary Beth West a friend. I know she is not everybody's cup of tea, as we say in England, 
but she is certainly mine and a great advocate for ethics, regardless of the opposition. And there's a phrase of Churchill as well, I think is relevant to some of her experience, but also to our industry's experience over the last year. When you're going through hell, just keep going on uh, you get through to the end of it. And that's what our industry has experienced over the last year. And um, I'm sure that's also a bit of Mary Beth's experience over the last year. That is so well said, Francis, and we appreciate your support and shameless plug for PRCA. I highly recommend membership. We have gotten so much out of it. My team has gotten so much out of the membership, and I've really enjoyed meeting people from around the world and feeling like I'm part of a global community versus just a U.S.-based organization. So it's just a wonderful, welcoming, warm organization. So, Francis, thank you again for joining us today. And Susan, thank you for co-hosting. This has been such a great conversation. Oh, my pleasure. I'd love to come back and do it again. And thank you very much. And do let me know who won the baseball game so I can see it going <laughs> in the background. Who's winning. Well, I was at a Cubs game on Saturday in Chicago. It was fabulous. It was cold, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, please follow us at Twitter handle at Fletcher PR. And let me rattle off some other Twitter handles here. Please follow Francis Ingham at Ingers, I-N-G-E-R-S 1975. You can follow Susan Hart at Susan Hart PR. You can follow me at Katie Fletcher. And you can follow Mary Beth West at Twitter handle Mary Beth West. Everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 